to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER retrospective, a show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy, hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 11, which is titled Touch and Go. The episode aired on January 8th, 2004. Lauren was going that week 20 years ago. NASA's scientific rover Spirit successfully lands on the surface of Mars to begin its planned 90-day mission to collect data on whether Mars once supported life through the an- analyzing of rocks, minerals, and soil. Or minerals, Marie. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Lizzie, always throwing me off. Uh, New movies over the holiday break included Something's Gotta Give, Cheaper by the Dozen, Mona Lisa Smile, and Cold Mountain. Moviegoers would not be denied the chance to see Aragorn crowned the true King of Gondor, though, as the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, absolutely demolishes every other movie at the box office for all four weeks of the break. Like, nothing came within, like, $20 million of it. Shit, yeah, I I was 19 million of those... Uh, dollars <laughs> not even not even something's got to give the seminal classic I, uh, the uh, min- excuse you you have to jack, say it you have to say jack it in Nichols- a christian manner something's got to give no i have to I have to use its christian name which is uh as good as it gets <laughs> i the minute i started reading it daniel i was like, that's not the one uh and people were also enjoying shaking it like a polaroid picture as hey ya by outcast is the number one song for all four weeks of the break daniel what else was on Whew, that is a that is a formative uh, yeah. music memory right there. Yep. Holy cow. I remember watching the music video on AOL Music. Ooh. Yeah. Oof. I watched it. It was always, it was like in the top 10 of VH1 for like ever. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. But like, I'm talking about watching it on demand. On I, know, I have but... a, I have a weird, uh, attachment <clears throat> or, or like weird, um, like flashbulb memory with this of, of, I was in eighth grade when that song came out and my school is you know like got one of those grants for like uh pe stuff like you know or or like you know how a lot of schools around that time got like laptop grants and like you know all this stuff my school got a a grant for rollerblades (laughs) and interesting so we had a pe unit that was strictly rollerblading and so there was this big like cabinet of rollerblades when you would come into the gym in all different sizes and stuff and and you would and we basically just had like skating rink time for like a month in PE. I mean, it's a good physical activity. Right, where we, uh, you know, basically just skated around the basketball court uh, every week in gym for a, a solid month. And what I remember is that they would play music while they were doing it, and this song was, like, the song everyone wanted to hear, and it was, like, the song that was on everybody's mind. So, weird little... It, it's it, We're in a weird little synergy point here where we're recording this episode in the first week of January of 2024, and we're covering the first week of January of 2004. So we're in a, a bit of weird timeline synergy. Daniel, this is another thing, uh, complete tangent. Did you guys both, like, did your schools go take you to, like, roller rinks or ice skating rinks or whatever for field trips in, like, middle school or whatever? We did a, um, uh, not in school, but we did, a like, a summer camp thing where we okay. would do, like, a, a different field trip every week. Gotcha. Because it's, like, I remember they did it once or twice for, like, oh, it's the special seventh grade trip or whatever. And I have to wonder, like, are skating rinks still a thing? Do people still, like, go just to skate in circles and listen to music? Certainly ice skating rinks are, especially here in That Minnesota. one I knew. Like, hockey is, of course, a huge thing here. And, like, we have just up the street from where I live, we have the practice rink for the mm-hmm. Minnesota NHL team, and they have, like, open skate time during the week. And it always pisses yeah. me off because it's always, like, middle of the afternoon during the week. I would love to do it more often. But, uh, we'll, so, yeah. We'll go ice, ice skating with you and fall on our asses when we come <laughs> over this summer. Ice ice skating rinks definitely still are a thing up here. Yeah, because, like, I'm thinking roller skate rinks because that's, like, not talking about skate parks i'm talking about truly roller right. skating roller, rinks roller rinks i i mean i'm sure they still exist somewhere but they're definitely not what they were like, yeah when i was a kid we had like two yep at least two that i can think of off the top of my head within like a 10 minute drive this was not the direction i expected this episode to be going already on sorry <laughs> daniel take us on uh anything to avoid talking about what was on that night because oh. uh at 8 p.m oh, no at 8 p.m we have uh friends in their oh. usual slot checking in with uh the one with the birth mother and then at 8 30 we have the debut episode the series premiere of the apprentice 
Excuse me while I vomit. Yeah, starring our former and hopefully forever former president, uh, shout out 2024, uh, meeting his uh, bunch of uh, sycophants that are going to... This was before it turned... This was when it was still like a, uh, you know, as re- as air quotes real as you can get with a real... Like, they hadn't gone full trash TV with the... Um, celebrity apprentice concept which would come a few years after this this was more of like here's a bunch of nondescript uh ivy league washouts and they're trying to make it big in business and like you know whatever and so yeah i have a weird uh not affinity because i don't i don't have any affection for this but i I just have a weird again much like the the outcast thing i have a weird like school related memory with this in high school i took a marketing class uh and one of the projects or one of the like units in the marketing class was the teacher would just tape the apprentice and bring it in every week. And we'd sit there and watch it on TV, uh, on the TV, watch the episode. And then we would have to take a quiz on the episode Mm -hmm. to prove that we were paying attention. And then, (laughs) then when the, then when the, when the, the, the season was over, when we had blown through all the episodes for the season, she decided to turn it into a class competition where we were basically going to do the apprentice in class and have a different marketing task or marketing thing to do every week. And she split us off into groups. By the way, marketing was, I went to a school that was like heavy on athletics. So we had a lot of football players. We had a really good football team. We had a decent basketball team. You know, like it was a lot of athletes in my school. And so I was in a class with a lot of football players I was one of the few people in the class who had no athletic ability whatsoever. So I got put into a group with a bunch of like meathead football players. And I was a a weird, you know, nervous, you know, anxious little, you know, high schooler. And I was like, I basically made a deal with them the first week. I was like, Hey guys, I'll do all of the work. Like you don't have to do shit. I will do everything. You just present it because we had, it was basically an oral presentation every week. And I was like, I'll do all the work. You just present it. And they were like, okay, cool. We won every single week until, Hot, boy. Un- until eventually my teacher was like, all right, this isn't fun anymore. It's canceled. <laughs> like, it was, so that's my weird like uh, relationship with The Apprentice. Yeah, we did the same thing in college, but it was with a Shark Tank. We would have to like go through and calculate what the actual valuations were and all that and like what they did right, what they did wrong for our entrepreneurship class. So same vibe. Yeah. It was, and certainly by that time, it was full on celebrity apprentice. So it was like, one of your questions would be like, "What did Gary Busey do to get kicked off this week?" And it's just like, just ugh, God, what a dreadful fucking. That's your. <laughs> it's it's so funny. You could not pay me. You could not pay me enough to go back to high school or college and do presentations, and yet we do this every week. Oh yeah, yeah. Sixteen year old me would have a full-blown anxiety attack at the thought of doing this so it's uh it's 30 31 year old me has an anxiety attack at the thought of going back and presenting book reports on like 1984 like absolutely not i can talk about those all day now just here screaming about them but don't put me in front of a class to do it the key difference here is that if we fuck up daniel (laughs) our lovely our lovely editor can simply Erase it, and it's like it never happened. No, I go off the assumption that Daniel doesn't delete anything I say, and I'm just like, Fair nope, enough. fuck it. It is it is what it is. It's out there. But it's, it's but left it's my nice. mouth to their ears. It's nice having <laughs> that safety net. I mean, that's how you should operate. Like, mm-hmm. everybody should always speak with conviction and, like, speak as though you don't have a filter. But th- it's nice to know that the filter is there if you need it, you know. Well, I sure don't have a filter. I have a filter, but I, I guess filter's filter. filter's the wrong word. Safety net, I suppose. Yeah. Safety net. Anyway, uh, this so week's when... episode... <laughs> Never mind, I was going to make a bad joke. This week's episode had 22.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his 23rd out of 31. Last time we saw him was earlier this season with The Greater Good. And written by Mark Morocco, doing his one and only uh, episode as a writer. Uh, this is really actually very interesting, and I'm kind of mad I didn't know about this before beforehand, because this is like right up my alley of like weird shit that I would have tracked this man down and tried to get him for an interview for. Um, this is only writing credit of any kind, like not just for ER, but of any kind. Like, dude is not a writer. <laughs> Um, this is only writing credit, and but he was also a technical supervisor slash medical supervisor for the show between the years 2000 and 2006. 
So, like, he's the guy who – he's one of the guys. They had several. But, like, he's one of the guys for whom it's like, that's not realistic. You can't do it that way. Like, trying to make sure that the, the medicine was depicted accurately. Um, and he was a – or is a physician. Uh, he is a doctor from UCLA. Uh, and he was brought in uh, to the show by uh, Neil Bear who was one of the right. one of the big writers and producers from the, the earlier seasons who also had a medical background. Uh, and so, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. They, like, they, they just basically, like, gave him this one chance to, like, you know, write an episode despite the fact that he had no heavy – he had, like, done some, like, bit part acting and stuff in things, but, like, most of his credits are of him doing this kind of stuff, tech supervisor, medical supervisor type work. So, Yeah. Uh, and continuing with the grand tradition of the last few episodes, we got no Susan and no Chen joining us this week. And I did a little bit of housekeeping. I did miss it on last episode, but last episode was, uh, our friend Charlie Lagola's first, uh, who is the uh, production designer that we, uh, spoke. I don't think you were on that one, Lauren. Um, yeah. but, um, he did <clears throat> a lot of the production design work, mm. um, kind of around this time. And he did talk about that episode. He talked about, um, you know, designing some of the, the, background aspects of it the the first episode he really went in depth on is uh next episode so when we mm. get when we get to next week's episode uh the NICU episode that's where he really uh did a big deep dive into kind of what what his job was and and getting kind of thrust into the the spotlight there so if you haven't already go listen to that interview he was a really interesting dude really cool dude had a lot of cool insight for us normal reminder for lizzie to still listen to the eric paladino episode <laughs> which will never happen but which will happen first, the heat death of the universe what, or me listening to that podcast? What will happen first, me finishing The Wire or Lizzie listening to the Eric Paladino it, it, interview? Ooh. It better damn well be you finishing The Wire, let me tell you. Because one, anyway. hurt, one hurts me on a personal level more than the other. <laughs> I know you. I know how much you care about me, Daniel. All right. Uh, previously, I was brought to us by Carter, and we start at 7.15 in the morning. Carter's alarm goes off in a big, comfy bed that I want to be in right now. Mm-hmm. Um just not with him in it. Just I just want the whole bed to myself. Uh, he's back in the mansion, and Kem is nowhere to be found because it's a giant house. And housekeeper says Kem insists on making her eggs again, and she had good reason to fear for her job because... <laughs> because she will never be seen again. She will be swallowed whole by the Shadow Realm. I just really put this in here because I, I love those end-of-the-season entries on the Bob list where... Everyone gets fucking <laughs> incredulous with me of like, who is this? You made this character up. Emily the maid? I've surely you jest. No. Emily the maid existed. She made three appearances and this is the yep. third one. So suck it, losers. Okay then. Uh Kem is astounded by the contents of the kitchen and the whole house. Uh Carter's going to work, but Kem has an OB appointment and he offers to not work while they're in town. He's like, I don't have to. Then why do it? Then, just for the love of the game, man. I guess, but uh, she steals his socks like a weirdo and does the whole like risky business sliding across the floor thing, uh, and gets a loving gaze from Carter because she's such because she's so she's so cool, guys. Oh my okay, god! Okay, we can't we can't immediately defend Kem and then go on to shit on her for how she acts here. <laughs> no, I was like, I no, know. I was, she very she's so random. Oh my yeah. god. Oh, stop. stop. That, I just That's threw up a little. Going. I hate that. Um, that is kind of what they're doing a little bit, though. Yeah, a little bit. Showing like, the this feels is not like the other girls. This does feel very not the chem that we've seen so far. No. A little bit. Like, I mean, like, not the chem they established last episode. I'll put it that way. Like, good of her to relax and have fun a little now that they're, you know, out of the Congo. But it just feels a little kind of out of what's already been staged. But mm. we'll see. Uh, but then we see Sam getting in late. Abby cannot clock out yet because they're too swamped. And Susan has called out with stomach flu. We find out that's going around. Frank asks if they'll need to call in another attending. And we find out, no, because Carter's coming in to help today. Great. Uh, we also learn that they're missing uh, 10 milligrams of Valium, which means Abby also can't leave. None of the nurses can leave until the closet is uh, audited and everything matches up. So... They got to find that volume before anybody can go. This is and care- this is so quaint that like that this could ever be a thing. Like this is one of those like cell phone plot lines that like this couldn't happen in a hospital now. Like all of that yeah. stuff is so. I mean, I guess it could in theory, but like 
there would be such a like paper trail. There would be some, yeah. like all that stuff is behind like a uh, an automatic machine that dispenses the only the exact dose you need and not a drip more. And like everything is tied to ID numbers and badge codes and, and stuff. Patient like, numbers, right? And... Like they know exactly where every drop of medicine is going. Yep. Uh, then we see Carrie tells Gallant to go home since it's slow and he's just an intern so he can get out, go get some extra sleep. And uh, Grandma from a nursing home comes in, no vitals, nothing really exciting happens with her, but one of those patients where we don't know if she's going to be important or not. Uh, then Gallant gets home and there is loud music blasting and he's asking like, hey, can you turn it down? It's seven in the morning and the music is coming from the bathroom. Val comes out from his room saying, oh, you're home early. And uh, Pratt pops out of the bathroom. Which means... With a lovely uh, shaving cream mustache. Yeah, which means they've been doing it in Gallant's bed because that's where Val's been staying. Gross. Gross. And with that, we are in with bangs. And uh, afterwards, we are back at Gallant's apartment, and he is grilling Val on how many times Pratt has been over. And she's like, only a few. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Uh, And Carrie tells Luca Abby can't leave until the narc count balances, and Luca mentions that he's going back to Africa soon, like in a few weeks. Uh, Carrie passes the elderly patient over to Luca before she leaves, and... She says, for the record, we need you here as much as they do over there. Which, I get it. Uh, He needs to write a a proper, like, resignation letter for HR, though, before he leaves this time. So there's a paper trail. There's not a whole lot of it in this episode, but I will say that I do kind of... I always appreciate when we get the little uh, glimpses into the developing sort of... Uh, colleague level friendship between mm-hmm. Carrie and Luca, like just that kind of like that that professional respect between mm-hmm. those two, uh, that that is just like kind of in the background a little bit. You get little drips and drabs of it here and there, but like big big fan of it. Uh, but uh, we then see Pratt rolling in late, uh, Luca with the uh, quick line of Valerie again, which is just like poor poor Galat, like just just can't catch a break. Uh, a patient, Mrs. Webster, who we will see kind of throughout the episode, uh, an older older black woman, uh, tells Pratt that she loves him. Uh, she appears to... I forget exactly what her thing is. She's she's in there... She's waiting on cardiology, if I remember correctly. Uh, but she also seems to be sort of altered as well. Because mm-hmm. she kind of wanders off at, at points and is very, very affectionate towards Pratt. Uh, Pratt's complaining about one of his patient's treatments and a man comes over and tells Luca that he's going to be their only doctor from now on because of something that he did for one of his children, I think, um, or something, you know, it's, this is clearly a patient that is from a, you know, previous episode or from previous interaction now kind of coming back to thank him, uh, Mm -hmm. before they leave. Uh, Pratt's got the med students in for rounds. Uh, Abby and Malik are still working in, uh, trying to balance the narc closet. And then we go over to triage where uh, Carter knocks on the window where Sam is working triage. And Sam first tells him he has to go sign in, not realizing who he is at first. And he's got Kim in tow. And they're like, oh, it's Carter. We've heard so much Yay. about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The prodigal son returns. Uh, and uh, they they go in. Everybody jumps, kind of crowds around them to, to say hello and, you know, say whatever. We hear Chuni mention that there's a double MVA. Uh, a few minutes out um, and uh, I love that I love that Frank is uh-huh. the like vo- not the voice of reason but just like the voice of decency in this thing the because, polite one right because like Carter is such a like self-interested little shit here like he's just so busy soaking in the adulation and soaking in the you know the whatever. he doesn't realize how uncomfortable chem is right poor chem is just like standing there like just oh this is awkward like and you know like i ha- i have to like get a- i i sort of tease jen about it at times because jen can be a little bit like this like jen can get so sucked into what she's doing and what she's talking about or like if it's somebody that like one of her horse friends or whatever, a lot of times I will just be standing there kind of like awkwardly. Like, should I say something? Should I stand here? And then I'll, then you're the weird one for you're just kind of lurking there, not saying anything like it's it is awkward. Like if you're with somebody, introduce them, introduce them to the people you're standing with. Um, 
but yeah, I just think it's funny that Frank is the one to like break that mm-hmm. break that barrier down there. And who is this lovely lady? Yeah, so it's just it's really nice. Um, but so yeah, all the all the nurses. So it, that's the other thing. He kind of just like blurts it out to everybody. Uh, I mean, yes, Hale does kind of like cue him a little bit when he mentions what doctor they're there to see. Uh, but uh, he does just sort of blurt out that she's pregnant and that, you know, they're decently far along. So everybody, of course, is all, oh, my God, it's so cool. You know, it's... it's Tell us how you really feel. Our white savior's back and he's having a baby. Oh, and he's yay. got a beard. <laughs> oh, the next God. messiah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but let's move on to a couple traumas, though. Uh, first up is Larry Brody. He's a 44-year-old... Uh, passenger of a vehicle and a car versus pole, and he's played by uh, Larry is played by actor Skip O'Brien. This is a very light. Oh, hey, it's that guy week. We'll just throw that out there to begin with. Not a whole lot to pick from this week, uh, but uh, Larry is played by actor Skip O'Brien, who appeared in stuff like Black Sheep, Preetzi's Honor, and Liar Liar, canonical ER movie. Just saying, I think that's actually technically our next ER movie because uh, it tied it, is. it tied in the poll last time. So we'll have to keep an eye out for. And then Skip. the holidays happened. And, and, then, and then everything happened. Um, so we'll be uh, that in the next month or two, we promise. And unfortunately, uh, Skip did pass away in 2011, so Skip is no longer mm. with us. Oh. Uh, and our next patient is a 19-year-old restrained driver, Martin. Uh, he was trying to wake Dad up when he crashed. Uh, Pratt takes the son, Carter has the dad. The son has ankylosing spondylitis. Is mm-hmm. that how they say it? Yeah, ankylosing spondylitis, which I don't know if you guys had the same childhood that I did. But, like, I feel like this was one of those diseases that I heard about a lot on infomercials. This like, is the only thing I have ever saw it on. I feel like, knowledge. I can't remember if it was, like, a law thing or, like, you might have, like, if it was, like, you might be entitled to financial compensation or some shit like that. But I swear, I don't know if it was, like, watching, like, Judge Judy reruns or what, but, like, trash mid-afternoon after school TV, I feel like I saw dozens of commercials about ankylosing spondylitis didn't know shit about it like didn't have the first fucking clue about what it actually was and like what people who had it were dealing with but that those words like immediately just struck me when i was watching this episode i was like oh i've heard of this core memory unlocked exactly and so i i looked it up to try and understand like what was bad about this uh from my understanding, it's a super, super severe form of um, arthritis mm-hmm. that's mostly within your spine, and it can just be really, really um, debilitating because of limited joint mobility and everything else, Except, especially given how important mobility throughout your whole spine is because, you know, it can affect right. your spinal cord and everything. It's, so it's this all the pain and immobility of yeah. regular arthritis with now the fun added uh, nerve uh, shit. The, right, the fun added layers of nerve shit and also like crippling fragility of yep. your joints and bones, which of course comes into play at this little bit later. I think Martin describes it at one point as mm-hmm. basically uh, like having your spine wrapped in bubble wrap, something like that. Yeah, uh, Luca and Carter are running the trauma with Morris and Lauren. Whose films are those? And uh, Luca has apparently never met Kim. I love how he goes like, no, she must have gotten past me and gives Carter like a cheeky little like smile. Like if I'd met her, oh boy. <laughs> That'd be a uh, Luca baby in there. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, that's another, another kind of undercurrent of this episode that I really like too, is that we, we are starting, to, we're back in, in the, the familiar surroundings of County. But we're, this is the first time we're really getting to observe and appreciate the newfound kind of budding bromance between Carter and Luca. Yeah. Like they, they're, yeah, they've, we are. they've achieved their their like level of respect, mild homoerotic undertones uh, aside, and like there's just, no, not aside. Well, no, I'm just saying not aside. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> just saying that like we're we're finally getting to appreciate that in a familiar setting, you know, Fair. outside of the Africa episodes. We, we don't have to put those tones aside, though. They can be where they belong. But anyway, uh, Martin is being worked on with Neela and Pratt while Carter pops in. It looks like he's got a pretty bruised lung, and they're evaluating to see what else is going on with him. 
Uh, we just do one of those back and forths in between the two traumas. Uh, Morris keeps trying to help people, but no one needs him. They're they're like politely all telling him to fuck off because everybody's <laughs> got their hands full. I really am. I also really enjoy that this is the this is the episode where Carter and Morris meet. Like mm-hmm. Morris wasn't around when Carter left, you know. So yeah, like, it's really cool to see those two interact for the first time. It made me appreciate. It made me kind of excited because like I I've been on my like we don't need Carter anymore kick. And then once I realized that we know, actually, we have quite a bit to still dig into with Carter and Morris and I was, and Carter and Neela as well. It made me kind of a little bit more accepting of having him around again. I was like, OK, like there is something still to be kind of enjoyed here. Yep. And then uh, Larry is talking to Luca about how Martin, his son, is fragile and uh, Martin asks if his dad is mad. And he's like, this is the one day I talked my dad into letting me drive and this is what happens. And uh, Kem calls down to the trauma because she's being taken in for her appointment early. So Abby pops in to help with Larry's trauma. Carter pops up to the OB appointment with Kem. And we find out it's a boy because she couldn't wait to find out. So we learn little baby boy, very happy. Everything's great. This cannot go wrong. It's fine. And they lived happily ever after. I I also want to point out that the OB here is named Dr. Subramaniam, which I choose to believe is a reference to uh, Babu Subramaniam, who is uh, who was the longtime second AD on the show, who also follows us on Instagram. So shout out to that guy. I choose to believe that character was named after him. I dig it. Uh, And then we see Abby is still trying to get the count correct for this volume because the nurses can't leave otherwise again. Uh, And Abby finally decides she's going to call Carrie at home to see if they can catch a break on this one. And she's like, yep, you know, somebody left it in their coat pocket, whatever. And it turns out Weaver had. And Abby Abby tells the nurses, she goes, Weaver, Carrie said to tell whoever did it is an idiot. (laughs) It's like, you bet. So now they can all go home. Great. And Abby had the best day ever then. Uh, Abby sees Carter and Kim talking at Admo at Chuni, and she walks over and introduces herself and asks what Kim is holding. And there's a light going off behind Carter that's blinking like crazy. That just drove me nuts. I was just like, just directly behind Carter when it's when you're looking at him and Kim straight on. There's an X-ray light or like Mm. one of the boards you put X-rays on, and it's just it's just strobing in the background. And I was like, really? Really? Even now? Even this? Chill I mean, it's episode? county. It's, there's shit. Everything's breaking all the fucking time, and there's no funding, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Luca comes down to be nosy, though. Um, it gets kind of awkward there for a minute. And after Carter and Kem leave, Abby just turns to Luca and says, did he knock her up the minute he got there? Abby, Abby is kind of low-key my favorite in this episode of, like, She's just having a a day and like is just constantly exasperated constantly. And I I love kind of I love more Tierney's like physical acting in this scene where she after she gets off the phone with Weaver, like she kind of stands there and you see her do this like double take of like, do I go over there? Fuck. Yeah. Like, fuck. All right. I guess I'll go over there. Like she like she has the the inner monologue, you know, of whether or not she should go over there. And then she does. And it's awkward. Carter's energy towards her is also really awkward this whole episode uh, where he's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's painful, you know? And then I loved the little moment between her and Luca, like the little moment between her and Luca where it's like, there's some awkwardness there too, but it's a different kind. And you know, then she's trying to break the tension by making a weird joke. And Luca's just like, ah, oh, you know, I don't care. My boy got his dick wet. Like he doesn't care. Like he's, I, I hate that phrase <laughs> so much. That was just, uh, that was just for you. I know. New Fuck year, you. new year. Same me. Uh, <laughs> and no apologies for it. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I really appreciated this scene. I, I grabbed a good, good chunk of it for the, uh, the clip for this episode. Cause I just enjoyed it that much. Uh, but we get our next uh, trauma coming in. A uh, patient with two stab wounds to the upper thigh. Uh, not great. Uh, they go to uh, examine the wound. Uh, as they're trying to, like, roll him into the, the trauma room, they're, they're Luke, Luca, like, pulls the, the gauze away just to kind of see what the wound looks like. And it's a pumper! We got a heavy pumper. This, this whole episode has some great, disgusting effects. Yeah. Props is working overtime this episode. Um 
Luca is going to have Neela. Uh, he, he asked Neela to take off his belt so that he, they can make a tourniquet for this guy. Because apparently there's not enough time to get him to the trauma room to put a tourniquet on. Like if they go the extra 10 feet without putting on a tourniquet, that's going to be lights out for this guy. I mean, I get it. Femoral artery is a big deal. But uh, Neela's like, well, my belt is uh, thinner and cheaper, I think she says. So she, yeah. no, but, f- but first she's like, excuse me? Right, because yeah. <laughs> he just says, take off my belt. He doesn't say what for. Um, so, yeah. Luca then uh, sits on the guy's uh, chest until he's restrained or sedated, because the whole time the guy is, of course, freaking out about the injury and is also being combative. So, oh, boy. We then see uh, Pratt helping Mrs. Webster get back to bed to be taken care of. She's, again, just kind of wandering around the ER. Uh, we see Lester and Morris uh, giving a summary on a mom with migraines. Uh, and Morris and Lester both puke next to her, and they show both of them puking, which is, like, just... Mm, just why? Right. That, like, I, props is just showing off at this point. Yeah, it was like, do they have? did they have, like, a new mixture... Yeah. Of this stuff uh, it seemed to it seemed they wanted to show off really gratuitous like it, d- it did not seem necessary to the scene one one thing i want to say here this was a patient i definitely thought we were going to see more of right they dropped this fucking thread like a I, bad habit like we saw this and i was like oh yeah i remember no i don't yeah they dropped this entirely like it's so strange how quickly this goes away i because i i felt the same way like to the point where I couldn't even find this mother in the credits. Like I couldn't. Like they didn't even bother to credit this actress in the IMDb credits. She's just not there. Uh, it was really really weird. Uh, but um, so yeah, the, the there's they mentioned there's a stomach flu that's going around. There's a a bit with uh, Lester talking about that he's a sympathy hurler. That you know. Yep. And. Uh, Mom, the mom here, Mrs. Halsey, the actual patient, she's asking for help getting her kids fed. So, we'll yeah, she's like, she's like hot dogs, hamburgers, anything. We're not picky. Just like right, which, do you have which apparently that is enough to trigger uh, Morris's like gag reflex. Like just that mention, it's very like I said, just the constant I mean, talk already, of food. Yeah, he's already sick. I guess. So. Yeah, like it, it just felt like a. It felt like they created this patient because they had a vomit gag in mind. Like they, they're like, we want to see somebody vomit, so we need a justification for it. Um, but we go back to uh, Larry, who's telling Pratt that his son is fragile. Pratt's telling him that he has to let his son live a little. And uh, as they're going to get him into the CT scan machine, his pressure drops, uh, which is obviously not ideal. We'll circle back to that in just a bit. Uh, but we go back down to Carter and Luca talking about Mrs. Halsey's kids, who are uh, in the little like child protective services daycare room a family waiting room off to the side there uh and how they have signs of starvation just like their mother uh and then they turn away from the window and never talk about this ever again like holy drop plot thread batman like just completely just out the door i mean to be fair the guy's never written an episode before i guess yeah i just (laughs) it's just really really strange how quickly they drop that uh they talk about Luca going back to Africa for a few weeks, uh, and he Carter mentions that Kim will be going back to visit her family, and then will be coming back to the states to have the baby. That's an awful lot of travel for somebody who's already in their second trimester. Holy shit! It's an awful lot of travel for anybody. Well, it but is. Yes, but like you know, <laughs> usually they start trying to limit you on your your travel at that point, and like certainly a bunch of transatlantic flights like that can't be fucking easy. Lauren over here in her negative nine hundred trimester. In my what? In your negative 900th trimester. <laughs> yeah, question mark. Sure. Um, hey, look, I'm saying you're going to You're right. For, I'm not pregnant. I will hundred. not be pregnant. And you, yet you're give still it a couple limit- hundred years. And maybe you'll come around. <laughs> and yet you're still limiting your travel. Good on you. Thanks. So. Yeah. Responsi- Gotta be careful. Responsible mother that hates her children. Don't don't want those eggs going anywhere. Gotta be careful. Anyway, Martin's pulse ox is dropped and they need a special intubation because of the condition because of the the neck condition, I forget how to say it already. Ankylosing, ankylosing spondylitis. Ankylosing spondylitis. spondylitis. Bless you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Larry's still crashing. They're doing the scan with him, and they're keeping him stay. Uh, but they're trying while while they're trying. Larry is still crashing, and they're doing the scan with him while they're trying to keep him stable. Uh, they found out where the injury was, and Lizzie can operate without wasting time now. There's a. Well, 
large triple A, which I'm, isn't it like an aortic yeah, abdominal he has aneurysm? Yeah, he has a, a, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. But also, too, like we're kind of burying the lead here a little bit. Pratt insists on them doing the fucking CT scan while he's in the room with him without the lead, lead. on, yeah. you know, which is like... I don't know. It feels weird that this episode is written by a doctor and like, I just, I cannot imagine circumstances a, that they wouldn't have that shit just like readily available. And like, yeah, here you go. Like there was one, there was one, right. And that the, that the med student took, but, but I also don't understand why the med student has to be there. Like, I don't understand why Pratt can't keep the vest and just kick the med student out. Like they, they create a, because he needed the extra set of hands. I guess. I don't with. know. They just they create a conflict out of thin air there a little bit. Yeah, and then the, here's another through line that I fucking love this episode. Uh, Abby's woken up in the on-call room because people are looking for Carter. She's like, no, Carter's not fucking in here. Rolls over, goes back to sleep. Mood. Uh, and then Martin is still crashing, but they can't find anybody to do the special intubation that they need to do. And Pratt jumps in to help without an attending. And he's like, we can't wait. We can't wait for an anesthesiologist. Like, we have to do this now. And so he's starting to do it. And right as he's doing the intubation, Carter runs in and, like, looks him dead in the eyes as we hear this crunching noise. Awful. And Pratt going, oh, and Pratt going, oh, God. As the neck arcs. Yep. And Neela says, did he break his neck? Yes. Fuck. Yes, Neela, I believe he did. I think more than just his neck might be broken from now on. Uh, but then the after commercial break, we come back and there's currently no motor tone in the legs when they're evaluating and Pratt kind of tries to cover for himself or hope for the best and says probably just the intubation meds and Carter's like, no, those only paralyze for 15 minutes and Neela's, you know, trying to be like, well, it might take more to metabolize, like just trying to hope, but they've got to take him up to MRI to see what's really going on. Oof. Way to try to cover your ass, Pratt. Uh, Pratt walks out into the hall. Mrs. Webster comes and chats with him again, and he asks for a nurse for he asks a nurse for soft restraints so she'll stop getting out of bed. Uh, Sam is back with Alex, sends him to the lounge, and she is apparently w- one emergency break away from uh, being on probation. And Sam asks Carter for a favor. Yeah, makes a point of going to Car like uh, Luca offers to help and is like, "Oh, is everything okay? Do you need help?" And she's like, "Nope," and like basically sidesteps him and goes straight to Carter. Lucas should be used to that by now. Uh, We'll circle back to that in a little bit. Uh, We then go to our next patient, uh, a 35-year-old female with AIDS-related lymphoma and new onset struggle of breathing. Uh, Patient's name is Ruthie. She is played by actress Sonia Jackson, who appeared in stuff like Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the Disney Plus series, uh, Stray Ugh. and uh, Jurassic. Hey, I liked the Obi Wan Kenobi series. I thought it was fine. Uh, nope. And Jurassic Park three. Uh, it's I, I I say that when I'm like a, I don't care enough to have the discourse about it, and b like I don't I haven't enge- like I have such like Star Wars oversaturation in the last five years that like nothing has like penetrated. Nothing has like. I feel like the last Star Wars thing I watched that, like, really penetrated into my brain chemistry was Last Jedi. Everything after that has just been noise. Like, nothing has made it through. Uh, Not even Solo? Come on, man. That was a good movie. Wasn't Solo before... uh, Wasn't that 2017 and then uh, Last Jedi was 2018? Somebody, somebody fact check. No, yeah, I thought was... I thought Solo and Rogue One were both before last. Rogue, Jedi. Rogue One definitely was because I remember watching Rogue One in theaters, and that no, it went twenty fifteen. It went twenty fifteen. Force Awakens, 2016 Rogue One, 2017 The Last Jedi, 2018 Solo, 2019 uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, last I remember because it was six months after The Last Jedi, and everyone was like, "What the fuck? You get didn't give anyone just any time to just be like done with Star Wars for a little." Despite Jake's best efforts, Solo did not make uh, a lasting impression on me. I thought he, I thought that Han Solo was the least interesting person in his own movie. So like it just, it just didn't. I mean, I mean that's fair. When Woody Harrelson's there, how can anyone be more interesting than I Woody Harrelson? I don't give a shit about Woody Harrelson. Fuck. <gasps> Blasphemy. Fuck him. Fuck him and his RFK Jr. fucking coattail riding ass. Like fuck. Shh. Let him. Let him just be a good. He actor was the. He was the worst character on Cheers. Fight me. Uh, 
we go from. Er, I've never seen Cheers. Oh, Jake, Jake, Jake has a top top fifty episode list for you. Let me tell you, <laughs> this, this 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 man power. Wait, w- seriously? Oh yeah, Jake power watched Cheers probably. I don't know. It was whenever it hit Netflix, so it's probably like seven or eight years ago at this point. But there's like ten, eleven seasons of that show. And we're talking like network sitcom episode orders. So we're talking 23, 24 episodes a season. He watched the whole thing in like three months. Like just fucking power through it. Does this man have like the time turner from Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban? At that time, yes, he did. This was before law school. So yes, at that time he did. Uh, He doesn't anymore. Uh, And we're very grateful for that. But uh, no, he still does because he finishes. He's finished Baldur's Gate three twice, which is a hundred hour game. Oh yeah, well game game stuff is different. You know, he has a weird like ability with that that none of us do. But like show stuff, he used to be like a fucking machine. Like he just blew through that show. It's a great show. Don't get me wrong, but like nobody should watch that many episodes that quickly of it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Ruthie. Our 35-year-old AIDS patient here. Uh, Gallant has been called back in because of Morris going home. Prot, uh, Pratt apologizes to Gallant about what happened this morning. Uh, and we find out Ruthie doesn't have a doctor for her HIV slash AIDS because she never got an appointment. Oh, no. The system is failing us. <sighs> then we go over. We see Carter suturing Alex's leg. And... Uh, it seems like did, he did. We find out what he did here. I I missed when they said uh, what he, he might have well, done. Well, he he's revising the sutures because Alex sutured himself. Is what? So he he cut himself somehow. I I don't remember the I don't know I don't remember if the specifics of that are ever established. But he cut himself somehow at school or something, and then tried to suture himself. And so that's the part that. Uh, Sam is very concerned about because ob- mm-hmm. obviously a kid suturing himself is uh, not really what you would call normal behavior. Uh, no, not typically. And so she's thank she's trying to like play it off, and she asks Carter like, "Have you ever seen something as crazy as this from a kid like this? Like, oh, isn't this wacky?" And Carter gives this very cryptic like, "To be honest." you know and then doesn't kind of trails off and then he walks away without saying anything so it's like i picture him like moonwalking out of the frame <laughs> there with like he does the nick miller like moonwalk walk away which you is a yep. reference you would understand if you ever watch new girl but you refuse what's what's more important to you that i watch new girl or the wire, the wire 100% the wire but i do <laughs> i do want you to get like a 20 minute supercut of the best nick miller and uh, Schmidt and Winston bits because I'm telling you there's a part of our lives from like 10 years ago I... where I'm the source material for Nick and Jake is a weird hybrid of Schmidt and Winston from that show I will absolutely let go of my weird ass college baggage and put that show on as fun background noise. it's great it's phenomenal like and Zoe Deschanel is the worst part of it like she's just like the most forgettable part of the whole thing but everything else 10 out of 10 Prince is on it, for God's sakes, before he dies. You know, obviously, he wouldn't be on it after he died. But, you know, it's a great show. Anyway, I don't know why I'm still talking about this. Uh, Gallant and Pratt are out in the hallway arguing about Val. And they're getting into this whole, like, I'm, you don't <laughs> think I'm good enough for your sister. Blah, 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 dick measuring contest. And the best part about it is that Abby bursts out of the on-call room just pissed because no one in this place will let her sleep. Ugh. What how on 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 what spiritual level is, did Abby speak to you this week? Like I just feel like she was she was right I here mean, near she, and dear to your heart. She would, except people let me sleep, so I didn't have the. Re- I would under, be that but mad you can, if people. Yeah, you can understand oh, her pain when life won't let. Ten out ten out of ten soul sisters absolutely would have completely understood. Uh, we go back to Ruthie who we find out, uh, surprisingly quickly, her test results have come back and we find out that she has a tumor in her heart that will need to be operated on. And she tells, she's talking with Luca and she's like, well, now you people want to spend money on me, save it for the next patient too late for this one. And this is one of those things where it's like, I could tell this episode was written by a doctor who's clearly been frustrated with the system and like the inadequacies of American healthcare. But it's not exactly a very well fleshed out or very like compelling story. 
it's just kind of matter of fact. It's so it literally goes from one scene to the next of like new patient problem, you know, gives up like fuck the system. Like there's just no like there's no there's no arc here. There's no like development. There's no you know, they don't really we never develop a connection to Ruthie. It's just like she comes in really fucked up. She gets more fucked up and then just kind of gives up and it's okay you know it's fine it's fine yeah i can it's honest honestly based on just this alone and i'm not shitting on the whole episode but just based on this one little through line alone i can kind of see why they only had him write one like i can kind of see why there was only one of these uh but uh we then go back out to admit uh or the the admit desk where we see abby just giving up and starting her shift early because nobody will let her sleep uh, she's like, oh, I might as well make myself useful. And Sam is still kind of, uh, you know, tap dancing around the, the issue here and is asking Abby very coyly if their insurance covers family therapy or counseling or, you know, those kinds of things. Because it's 2004 and there's still a stigma around mental health. Great. Your kid's a sociopath. Take him to therapy. But then, oh, goodness, Val shows up uh, looking for Gallant. And he asks why she's there with a flight happening at 2 o'clock. And she came to say goodbye because she didn't want to leave things as awkward as they were that morning. Great. Good family. Cool. Uh, We're up in radiology. Uh, Martin's MRI was not good. If this had been Steve the radiologist, it would have been better news. (laughs) Um, It turns out his neck snapped during the intubation. And Lizzie asks for confirmation so she can tell the dad. Cool. Cool. Great. This is fine. Uh, This is a weird uh, space-time continuum thing. Uh Uh, Pratt sees Val leaving. She's down in the ambulance bay getting into a cab, and he's in one of those, like, windows up above that we normally see people looking out of when they're, like, in the ICU Mm -hmm. or in surgery or whatever that looks looks down into the ambulance bay. He's in that weird little vestigial hallway that we've only just recently, within the last season or two, started exploring. Uh, and he does. Is that isn't that the one where Chen hides after yes, the gunman? Yeah, it's where Chen hides, and he does his best like fucking graduate uh, impression. <gasps> like he bangs on the window to try to get Val's attention. Is really funny. And and keep in mind, it's maybe five seconds between when we see him bang on the window and when he's running out the door oh, yeah. to see her. Um, and there's no way he got down that fast. But he says like, "Oh, I've got time off next week, and I want to come down to." to dc to see you and hang out and she's like nah fam no you were a vacation no she was just using him now you know how it feels pratt right which like low-key i kind of love like as a a plot twist like i you know this the storyline has been sort of which it's it's hard to really call it a storyline it's 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 been like a handful of scenes space blip yeah it's a blip like it's a handful of scenes spaced out across like two three episodes but, you know, on surface level, like, it is kind of cool that they, like, give some something above just basic agency to this character with a disability. You know, that, like, she can use somebody for a booty call, too. Like, she can, you know, she can be the one who's emotionally detached and is just sort of like, oh, no, yeah. this is for fun. You know, like, it's not not she doesn't get to be altruistic just because she's disabled. Which, Shit, yeah. which as a like as a writing trope, I would expect them to go that route. I would expect them to just be like, well, no, she wouldn't do that. She's disabled. Like she, you know, she must be perfect. So yeah, I just thought that was cool. It, unfortunately, though, this does mark the last appearance of Valerie, and we will never see or presumably speak of her ever again after this episode. Her, her so. sin uh, banished her to the shadow realm. Yeah, she. Uh, but then we see Luca watching Alex do his insulin injection. And Sam brings a lunch in for Alex into the lounge, and they're talking about what Alex did to his leg. Uh, Sam had shown him how to do sutures, but didn't think he'd actually try it. And after Sam walks out, uh, Alex is like, she's wigging out over nothing. Does Alex get the shitty kids list this episode again? Sure. <laughs> it's, okay. just, it's just token at this point, yeah. I do love the... I do love... I love the click. I love the shot of... Luca and Alex sitting on the couch next to each other as if Luca is also a kid in trouble, you know, like he's they're sitting next to each other. And then like when Alex protests and he's like, she's getting all worked up over nothing. Luca doing the just exasperated dad thing and just being like, just do what your mother says. Like, just 
Would you yep. just fucking be cool? Just for once in your life, just be cool. <laughs> it's funny. Again, I have no problem with Luca and Alex as a pairing. I think Luca and Alex as a pairing is a fucking gold mine. It's Luca and Sam that I just am not interested in at all. Like, make Luke because every time Luca sees someone, he sees someone who's even slightly broken. He's like, I can fix right. her. Make make Luca and Sam hate each other, and I'm there a hundred percent. Like that's a that's a match made in heaven right there. And just be have her be consistently pissed off at how good of a friends he has become with her little you know ten year old sociopath child. That's that's where the gold is here. So let's go to our first audio clip here. Sam asked Luca out in the hallway if Alex has seemed okay. So he needed to be reminded. No chips? Carrot sticks are better for you. I got those things. Yeah, look, I, he told me what he did. Really? And I, I just wanted you to know that I didn't show him how. I know. I did. Didn't think he'd ever try it. I guess that wasn't uh, such a good idea. Trying to call Sharon, see if she'll pick you up and babysit, but I haven't heard from her yet. Okay. Eat. She's like wigging out over nothing. Hey, just do what your mother says, okay? <laughs> they seem okay to you. Yeah. What? It's just really hard doing it all by yourself. You know, I, I mean, I try. I Come really. On, you're doing great. Sure, that's why everyone says my kids are freak. People talk, so what? I stuck tweezers into an electrical socket when I was his age. You know, I knew better, but I did it anyway. Then why did you do it? Because I was a kid. Kids do stupid things sometimes. You think maybe he needs? Hey, he'll be fine. Luca. This child don't, needs right, therapy. Don't cut her off. Do we put Luca on the shitty kids list? Luca can go on the shitty kids list. Don't. don't. <laughs> no, he can go on the shitty kids list for saying Alex doesn't need therapy. Right. Don't don't cut her <laughs> off. Like, not only does he need therapy, he needs intensive therapy, like years long therapy. Oh my god. Where he like stays like in a program. Like Jesus. Oh, he's a you know. I mean, which but two things can be true. Like he he can also he could be a dumb kid who does stupid things strictly because he's a kid but he can also need therapy like both of those things can be yep. true at the same time yep and then we go over to uh, pratt is looking for mrs webster but she is waiting for transpo to the morgue she apparently passed while everything else was going on because pratt's just having the worst day ever um a 16-year-old male is brought in with a gunshot wound to the chest, and a 9-year-old who was caught in the crossfire has a shotgun wound to the shoulder. Um, Pratt goes up to the ICU to check on Martin and tells him that his dad is going to be okay and what happened during the intubation, and he's going to be paralyzed. And while he's telling him this, uh, Martin leaks one single tear from his ICU bed. And this shot is horrifying. Like the way yes. they have him, uh, what's it called? In, in traction. Yeah. Yeah. To keep everything stable. Why Just... would you not keep him sedated though? If you had for now, if you, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Gunshot. We go back to the gunshot wound. Still doing horribly. Uh, this guy has an entrance wound for every year of his life. Says one of the doctors, uh, Carter then uses the rip spreader and blood goes everywhere. But his heart is empty. Watch your shoes. Yeah. Heart is, but his heart is empty. The cat, the kid's heart is empty uh, because there's a big hole in his left ventricle. Yikes. Neela and Luca are working with the uh, little boy. And then back over to the uh, older GSW patient, they uh, get a Foley catheter plugging the hole in the heart. Uh, then back over, this is one of those like back and forth trauma cuts, you know, one, one to the next, they back to the young kid. They're able to clamp the wound in his shoulder. Uh, again, excellent props work. If Abby's not the MVP of this episode, props certainly is because props is working overtime this whole episode. Uh, it's foul. They get his blood flow stable enough in the arm to hopefully save it. <gasps> uh, but for the older, excellent work by the oh, department. So, so good. Oh, it's so bad. It's so good. It's so bad. Looks like a freaking earthworm. <laughs> and they, uh, but for the older uh, kid, they do have to call it. Uh, and these trauma rooms are just an absolute mess. 
after this. It is awful. Uh, Carter tells Abby that he's glad she went back to school, and they start looking like they're gonna fight and then stop. And he invites he invites her to join him and Kem for dinner, and, she, and she's like, "We're not that okay." Which good for her for setting that boundary. Yeah, I can't put my finger on what kind of vibe he gives off here. Like, I guess it is sort of like again like that self righteous vibe where like he was really kind of the especially towards the end he was the one being shitty and he is making it seem like like it was mutual shittiness mutual shittiness and like you know like oh like i i don't know like there's just a, he gives off such a like weird icky vibe that like he's like doing her a favor by acting like it's cool between them yeah and like oh you're going back to med school that's great right Good. yeah like i didn't ask for your fucking approval man like or about time or like he's like you never should have stopped or whatever it's like we've been over this right yeah like he's just uh, he's got a weird self-righteous bend to him here i mean that's kind of that's 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 the john carter since season five sort of like byline he's got a weird self-righteous bend to him um but yeah i just i was not a fan of his vibe towards that which i think is the point but yeah. It wasn't didn't make it any more pleasant to watch. Uh but then Sam asks Alex if he's ready to go and he is zonked out on the lounge couch. Luca walks in and tells her that she can bring the car around and he'll carry Alex out. And uh Kem is standing out in the snow waiting for Carter and he comes out and he's like, You should have waited in the car and she's like, Nope, I'm good. I haven't seen snow since I was a kid and she sticks her freezing hands in his shirt. Which, honestly, as someone who runs really warm, that's always my favorite when somebody does to me, because I'm always so frickin' hot. Uh, but Luca carrying Alex out for Sam as Carter and Kem watch, and uh, Luca's off work, and Sam offers him a ride, and he's like, yeah, I gotta go take care of something first. So, okay, that's weird. But uh, I want to note here, the snow looks so fluffy and wonderful, and it makes me sad we haven't had a real good snow here, aside from, like, two days ago. And, um, Even that was barely a snow. It was pretty well it lasted. But then uh, Luca's back up in Carrie's office, and he's going through her inbox tray to get his resignation letter because he wants to change the date of his last shift. And Carrie's like, "Why are you? Why did you break into my office?" He's like, "I needed my letter." She goes, "Next time, don't." And she's like, "Oh, you wanted to leave sooner?" And he goes, "I don't know yet." And walks out. Yeah, with his letter. he gives her like he's. <laughs> she's like oh you want to make your date sooner and he's like no later and she's like well do you want to tell me and he's like not not particularly not or not yet or something and then he kind of gives her this little wink and then just kind of like fucks off and again it's a nice little like moment between these two like colleagues that have this like growing mutual respect for one another i just, I just enjoy it um let's go to our the last scene of the episode and also our last audio clip uh pratt's at the bar having a drink when gallant slides up next to him you have another you know come by to give me some more hey i'll take one of those you got it let's tell you the truth i'm really not in the mood <sighs> yeah i heard about that neck thing some hard stuff man Look, we got a big family, okay? Lots of boys, Val's the only girl. So we all tend to be a bit overprotective. I'm gonna tell you my mom died when I was 12. No, you didn't. That's some hard ass stuff right there. You have to get used to being by yourself when that happens. What about your father? <laughs> Truth is, all anybody's got is themselves. I'm not sure I agree with that. Look, why don't you just say what you have to say and leave me at peace, okay? My sister played me. She played me. Well, you can't say I didn't warn you. So you were protecting me, huh? Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. No worries. Okay, then. Have a good night. No, I'll leave it. I'll check it. It's so weird that Gallant orders this beer and then walks out. Oh, well. Like, beer's expensive. <laughs> Chicago's expensive. What the fuck are you doing? 
It's like that beer was at least probably like four dollars. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, because it's Sam Adams, and we treat that like a premium beer for some fucking reason in bars. I don't know. I know. Shout out to that fucking uh, Oasis needle drop in the background there. Like it's two thousand and four. Aren't we a little? Aren't we just ever so slightly past the Best Buy date on Oasis? Speaking as somebody who just, listened to a lot of Oasis back then, like it's just John Wells in the corner going. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Ay ay ay. This episode is better than the sum of its parts, if I can put it that way. Like, there's there's kernels of the good. Some I- of its parts are not good. Well, there's there's kernels of good ideas here. It's just you can tell that this episode is not written by a writer. Like, you can you yeah. can tell that this episode is kind of sloppily put together and like just all over the place. But there's good ideas. It's why people like him. I think not to like make this the like shit on this guy hour, but like. It's why people like him are there in advisory capacities. Like, people like him are there to point out and go, like, oh, that doesn't make sense, or, like, that wouldn't be realistic. Don't do it that way. But when you let that guy drive, like, then it just sort of becomes this, like, pedantic fucking, like, power hour where it's like, well, the system sucks. No, I'm not going to tell you why. Like, it's just, it's everything is this matter-of-fact statement of fact with no point and no like interest and no art no nobody grows really in this episode nobody does much in this episode of of significance they're just kind of making a series of declarative statements he just walks into the writer just walks into a room says this shit sucks and just walks out with no right but not not even in a fun immature way like r scott gemmel like r scott gemmel does the like you know isn't this shitty kind of like you know he does that sort of like thing or at least he did. This guy is just sort of like, this shit sucks and I'm mad, but not going to actually, like, expand on any of it. So, you know, noble effort. I'm glad they threw this guy a bone since he clearly was on the show as a advisor for so many years. Like, I'm, I'm glad he got the chance to, you know, live out a dream and write an episode. Yeah. But I'm glad they didn't make six a Six bones out of ten for me. <laughs> yeah, I think six. Six, yeah. six and a half feels fair to me. All right, but what bones did the listeners throw, though, Lauren? Uh, Heather R. says, I only enjoy this episode for the awkward interaction with Carter and Abby. The body language from Abby... The body language from when Abby starts to walk away when she sees Carter, but then decides to say hi in a get-it-over-with kind of way. Even the hug is weird because Carter seems like he wants to pretend everything's all good between them. Abby seems surprised he even hugged her, really. They're polite, I suppose. Maybe show a little more interest in her going back to med school, Carter, but whatever. And, oh, hey, congratulate me and my new gal on the baby we're having, Abby. Just forget that one time I broke up with you in a letter after treating you like crap. Uh, Luca coming over is kind of cute, though. And when it's just Luca and Abby, I laugh every time at their brief silence. And Abby's, what, did he knock her up the minute he got their delivery? Luca's facial expression as a response is gold. I don't know. I just always found this scene to be so good for some reason. Maybe because Abby is saying what a lot of us viewers were thinking at the time, too. And second, last, and certainly not least, we have at Simply Swooning. There's only one character who can make a pregnancy reveal seem cringe and awkward and uncomfortable beyond belief. That's John Truman Carter III. For starters, does he have to let everyone know the second they step in the door? So, of course, congratulations are now obligatory and cringe. Secondly, the fact that he didn't have the balls to give Abby the slightest forewarning is so immature and juvenile. It's almost hard for me to enjoy the sweet ultrasound scene between him and Kem. Poor Abby between the double shift and the double take she has to do. I'm surprised she hasn't cracked. And yet she still manages to deliver the line of the episode. Fucking Pratt. Just when I thought his idiot days were behind him. Granted, he was in a sticky situation, but he only managed to make it worse, and his whole thing with Valerie is just ick. I don't think Michael had the right to get as upset as he did, but I still, but still I get it. Sam is just realizing now that Alex needs counseling. Lord help us. I'll have plenty of opportunities to unleash on the Sam-Luca-Alex dynamic, so I'll refrain from doing so here. All right, that's the buck going to wrap up our, our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast, where for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, 
movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member and character retrospectives where we, where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Satan Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, I'm not going to plug my social media this week. I'm instead going to tell everybody they really need to go sign up for at least one month of the Patreon because you get to hear me and my mommy talk about Michigan stuff, and I know that Daniel worked really hard to wade through that shit. So everybody <laughs> should go subscribe for at least one month to listen to that episode. And worked really hard on the on the title of that pod, pod as well. Shut <laughs> up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Instagram where I'm probably going to start posting more climbing stuff as I make Woo. more progress in that journey of mine. Uh, it is at randomgamer1. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thanks again to everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.